Friends, last week, Dale began our winter sermon series entitled The Call to Be a Courageous Christian, focusing on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew's Gospel. In that famous collection of teaching, Jesus describes the kind of courageous and costly discipleship which is consistent both with the kingdom of God and with the gospel of grace. Dale explored Jesus' first four Beatitudes, declarative statements of grace which describe what kingdom-ready people are like. And those blessings were on the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Today, I'll explore with you the final five Beatitudes which commend peacemakers, two of which commend those who suffer unjust persecution for the cause of Christ, and then the pure in heart and the merciful. Let's hear all those Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 12, as Steve Frary reads for us, and pay close attention to the attitudes and the behaviors Jesus mentions. The scripture today is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, reading from the New Revised Standard Version. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. I want to begin unpacking this material with Jesus' behavioral attitude, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The Hebrew word for peace, shalom, appears more than 250 times in our Old Testament, while the Greek word for peace, irene, appears 91 times in the New Testament. Now, shalom means wholeness, far more than simply the absence of war. It means instead comprehensive well-being in every direction and every relationship with both people and God. Notice that Jesus blesses not just peace lovers, but peacemakers. He, of course, is the great reconciler who reconciles us both to God and one another. But he also calls us to seek to become peacemakers, to seek reconciliation with our enemies rather than trying to injure or destroy them. 
Peacemakers reach out to bring together people who are estranged, alienated from one another. Peacemaking is not a passive, but an active engagement with others so that a just peace may be achieved among individuals, groups, and even nations. Desmond Tutu, the buoyant and outspoken South African Anglican Archbishop who died recently, worked to end apartheid in South Africa and was a wonderful example of a peacemaker. Throughout the 1980s, Tutu was one of the most prominent black leaders to speak out against the government's policy of apartheid. His lively wit lightened his hard-hitting words and warmed otherwise grim protests and funerals. Plucky and tenacious, he was the much-deserved recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize back in 1984. He worked tirelessly and nonviolently for the end of apartheid in South Africa, which was finally abolished in 1994. Appointed by Nelson Mandela, South Africa's first black president, Tutu became chairperson of the country's Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which uncovered past apartheid abuses and then moved to the process of reconciliation. That whole effort helped heal that nation, giving full rights to all people regardless of color. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, in this beatitude, praises peacemakers, and later, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls us all to follow their example. Next, let me turn to Jesus' twin beatitudes about persecution. Here, Jesus admits that not every peacemaking effort will succeed. Our loyalty to Jesus may well cause some to reject and even persecute us. His words are, Blessed are those persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus shifts and speaks directly to the people. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In the face of such persecution, Jesus tells us to rejoice and be glad. Perhaps because the authenticity of our faith is being noted. Now, but who's Jesus kidding? Does he really expect us to enjoy pain and persecution? It, it may seem superhuman to be able to rejoice in the midst of persecution. And yet that is exactly, for example, what the Apostle Paul did when he wrote to the Philippians from a prison cell, likely in Ephesus, facing possible martyrdom. He writes, Even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. A third beatitude is attitudinal in nature and addresses our inner spiritual life. Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. The Greek word translated pure is katharios, from which we get our English word catharsis, which refers to a release that brings a purification or a cleansing of emotions. Many societies, including ours, have a focus on purity and cleanliness, really outer purity. We see commercials constantly promoting soaps and laundry detergents, antibacterial products, dishwashing liquids, um, air purifiers that seek to 
purify our homes in every respect. First century Judaism valued purity, but especially outer ritual purity. The Mishnah, a collection of Jewish rabbinic teaching, was com which was compiled at the end of the second century, but whose quotations from rabbis goes back even before the time of Jesus, contains 180 pages of careful definitions of what constitutes ritual cleanness versus ritual uncleanness. The Pharisees focused a great deal of time and effort on staying away from polluted people and things so as not to become ritually unclean. Their very name, the separated ones, makes that perfectly clear. A Pharisee was made unclean just by sitting on the clothes of one of the people of the land who could not read the Torah. Not only in this beatitude, but in all the Gospels, Jesus rejected the Pharisaic emphasis on ritual or outer purity and concentrated on inner ethical or spiritual purity instead. Later in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 23, he criticized the scribes and Pharisees and told them, You are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside look beautiful, but on the inside they're full of the bones of the dead and all kinds of filth. So also on the outside you look righteous to others, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Here's my very loose translation of that last verse. Looking real good on the outside, but on the inside, ooh-wee, not so much. When we hear the phrase, pure in heart, we probably assume Jesus was talking about emotions and feelings. But friends, in Hebrew understanding, the heart was the center of human will, decision-making, and intellect, not emotions. This means Jesus is pronouncing a blessing on those who desire what is morally and ethically pure, who are utterly sincere, who have integrity. These are people who are congruent, whose outer behavior matches their inner thoughts. Jesus is not satisfied with a thin veneer of outer respectability, but wants our behaviors and even our inner thoughts to be pure. We see that emphasis in the 24th Psalm, which reads in part, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in God's holy place? Those who have clean hands and pure hearts, who do not lift up their souls to what is false, and do not swear deceitfully. So, as in Jesus' beatitude, God commends honesty and integrity, people devoted to God's kingdom, not only in outward behavior, but also in the inner person. The promise that the pure in heart will see God may have to do with the hope of resurrection to new life promised us in Christ. The Apostle Paul writes about that in his famous love poem in chapter 13 of his first letter to the church in Corinth. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. In the Hebrew Scriptures, when Moses requests the honor of seeing God's glory, God replies, you cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. Yes, but Jesus promises there will come a day when the pure in heart shall see God. The final beatitude for today is behavioral in focus. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy.
The Greek word for mercy is eleos. It involves two things. Forgiveness for those who have injured us and care for those in need. Later in the same gospel, Matthew records that Peter asked Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus then tells his parable of the unmerciful servant who had been forgiven an enormous debt owed his master, probably in our day, the equivalent of tens of millions of dollars, who then in turn refused to forgive a co-worker who owed him but a few measly dollars. When the master heard about this unmerciful behavior by the servant, the slave, whose gigantic debt he had just forgiven, he called him in and said, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? Jesus puts each of us as readers in the place of the slave who owes the master a fortune. That is, we are all in debt to God because of the enormity of our sin. As those who have already received God's mercy and grace in Christ, we cannot withhold mercy from those who have hurt us and seek us our forgiveness. In other words, anyone who experiences the mercy of God in Christ cannot help but become more merciful ourselves. This beatitude also requires compassion and care for those in need. Later in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 9, he scandalized the self-righteous Pharisees by eating with a group of tax collectors who were both social and religious outcasts. And by calling one of them Levi, perhaps the author of this good news document, to become his disciple, a member of the inner twelve. How did Jesus respond to the critique of the Pharisees? He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he said, go and learn what this means. And then quoted the prophet Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In context, Hosea was stressing that showing love and mercy take pres- takes precedence over ritual acts, even those sacrifices commanded by God in the Hebrew Scripture. A few years ago, a 12-year-old boy named Trevor, living in an affluent Philadelphia neighborhood and a member of Gladwine Presbyterian Church, saw the story of the homeless sleeping on grates in downtown Philadelphia so as not to freeze in the bitter cold. So on his own, he gathered some blankets and asked his parents to drive him downtown. Little Trevor came up to these homeless people and covered them with warmth. It was an inspiring act of mercy by a 12-year-old. Trevor's actions led to the development of Trevor's Place, a facility dedicated to housing the homeless in Philadelphia. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, in our congregation, we're grateful to Catherine Barnard and David Berg and their nomadic shelter team, who for years have provided a hot meal and shelter to some of our homeless neighbors. What Jesus promises us is that those who show the mercy of God in Christ, already bestowed on us in Jesus' saving death, will receive it once again at the end of time. Now let's review. What has Jesus taught us today? 
While we all know it's dangerous to step in between warring parties or to try to break up a fight, Jesus says God will bless those who become peacemakers. While some people seek power to control others, Jesus says those persecuted falsely on his account will be those who are truly blessed. While many in our lives, uh, our outer behavior and our inner thoughts are not congruent, they're opposed to one another, Jesus advises us that it's the pure in heart whose outer and inner lives match, that are congruent, who refuse to compromise their integrity, are those whom God will bless. And finally, why many tell us to be unforgiving and to harshly punish those who have in some way injured us, Jesus advises us to be merciful instead. Which of these Beatitudes do you find most challenging? How might you become more Christ-like and reflective of these kingdom values? Friends, if we are growing closer to Christ, these Beatitudes and those Dale focused on last Sunday will be increasingly accurate in describing each one of us. So may it be. Amen.